Hello everyone and welcome to Nisa Day FC. I'm Josh Taylor and I'm so happy to be back. First off, happy belated holidays. I know it's been a while since we last did our show, but I hope everyone had a happy and safe holiday season as we approach the new year for 2022. Now on today's show, we're going to spend most of the time recapping all the offseason moves that have happened in the Nisa League so far. I'm also going to discuss about my time with Chicago House Athletic Club and the latest news that's been going on with them lately. And at the end of the show, I will go ahead and discuss some New Year's resolutions that I've posted on social media that fans and myself would like to see for the NISA League as we head into 2022. So sit back, everyone, relax, and enjoy the show. Let's go! Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. How's everyone doing so far? Good? I'm doing good. Doing good. And I'm glad you're taking time of your day to listen to my show today. Now, as I alluded to in the intro, I'm going to share a bit about my time with Chicago House AC. Because as most of y'all know, Peter Wilt did an interview with Protagonist Soccer on last week, on December 19th. That was when the article got posted. But he told everyone that they had to furlough the majority of the staff uh, due to the team, cut its expenses, and kind of keep itself on the bottom line for 2022. And just want to take a moment just to, uh, you know, thank Peter Wilp uh, for giving me the opportunity coming out of college to come here to Chicago. And crazy brought what I learned from school to apply to the team environment. And I know these are tough times for a lot of our staff right now that did work for the team uh, with the uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen. It was kind of crazy. Like, I think we played we play our last game on November 20th. And then, like, two weeks later was when we got the news that we were going to be let go from the club. And then... We, I think at the time from talking to uh, my coworkers, because I've chatted with them the past couple of weeks just to see how they're doing, how they're processing everything. And I think a lot of us initially thought when we got the news, like, we're like, is the club not playing next year? What's going on? And then, like, I think two weeks after that was when the CJ rumors broke, which I'll get to that in a minute about him leaving the team. So I think initially that's what we all thought, but Peter will made it very clear in this interview that no, the team does plan to play professionally next year, but we need to focus on reducing expenses and the operation and non-revenue generating areas. So here we are. Now, from my experience with the team, look, I just want to, like I was mentioned, you know, thank Peter, thank Train for giving me this opportunity to show what I can do. I think the team made a really big impact in this community. And I think Chicago House in general, not just the market, I think Chicago has proven that, you know, maybe there's room for not just maybe one or two soccer teams, but more. And that's what Nisa and them, I'm sure would want to have a, a rivalry, a, a bunch of derbies uh, in this area. And I think that would be pretty cool to see that. And look, when I came on board in June, it was kind of crazy. Like I had to like narrow through so many options as far as broadcasting to try to help them find a production company, which most of you know was ISC Sports Network. But getting to them was not easy. I literally had 10 companies I had to sort through and give them a broadcast proposal. So that was pretty crazy but i was very happy with isc working with greg and jordan those guys did a really good job working with our broadcasters dan kelly and dason robinson that was really cool too learning a lot from dan a guy who has over 20 years of experience he used to do play-by-play for chicago fire and dason you know being a former chicago fire player connecting with him and everything it was a really awesome experience and working day in and day out to put a good 
quality broadcasts together for the club. So I'm very thankful for that. And thank you fans uh, for sharing your thoughts, your opinions, you know, any suggestions. I was always open to that kind of stuff to make the broadcast better because I wanted to make it as good as I can be. And I think Peter on Twitter kind of alluded to that where we uh, had one of the, 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 the top broadcasts in the league. So I thought that was pretty cool. Another interesting thing that I did was, because no NISA team has done this currently, I wanted to see, when me and Peter chatted back in June and July, we wanted to see if we could bring a different element with the broadcast, not just do it in English, but also in Spanish. So when Football Boricua reached out to me, um, we talked, me and Edwin talked about it, and we find a way to make it work. And of course, uh, Rodolfo Suya and Joel Soreno, uh, they're both uh, Puerto Rican players and they both play for the Puerto Rican national team. So I wanted to do it just to give a different element. And not only hearing fans that here in Chicago can watch the game in Spanish, but we could also do the games in Puerto Rico as well. And we got to broadcast eight of the nine home games because BN had to do one of the games in Spanish. So that was pretty cool experience. And I was glad that I got to be a part of that. So again, just want to take a moment to just say thank you to, you know, again, the organization, uh, to the fans, uh, CJ and, and, and the players, you know, for working with them this year and giving me an opportunity to show my talents. Now, I, you know, I just wish them nothing but the best and hope that they can come back and, and strong and, and play next year. And, Hoping win the league. I mean, that's what we hope for, right? We hope to be the best. And even though I'm not with its team anymore, uh, I still will be rooting for them in spirit and vamos Chicago house, as we say. Uh, so now that I got the formalities out the way, let me go ahead and talk about the interview that Peter did with protagonist soccer. Now, as I mentioned, he, he mentioned in the piece that they had to furlough staff and they're evaluating, excuse me, their options to see um what they're going to do now they made clear they plan to come back and play next year so i'm assuming after the new year we'll probably hear some updates on like peter mentioned in, in the article they're just adapting to the business model to better fit their budget for 2022 and you know it's gonna be interesting to see what players and coaches they bring in as i mentioned with the coach the now, former head coach and technical director, C.J. Brown, elected to depart the club, and he's going to be an assistant coach with Chicago Fire FC. You know, it's tough for me to put myself in his shoes, but I know with Chicago Fire, you know, that's a club he won an MLS Cup with. That's the only club he played for in his professional career. And I know it might have been a tough decision, but I know knowing C.J. and working with him this year, the ultimate goal for him is he wants to be an MLS coach. You know, I'm very happy for CJ and it's been a pleasure working with him and got to meet him and his family. And, you know, it's really cool. And I, I wish CJ nothing but the best. And I do plan to go to the Chicago Fire home opener. They'll be playing Orlando City. So I'll have kind of mixed emotions because you guys know I'm from Orlando. So I, I got to rep my team, right? But I'm also going to, you know, root for CJ, man. You know, I, I, I want him to do well. So. Uh, it's going to be a kind of bittersweet day for me on March 5th, but looking forward to it nonetheless. You know, let's see what else that Peter said in this article that I find pretty interesting. Um, let's see here. So he did mention about our team attendance uh, that it was third overall behind Detroit City FC, who were the league champions in Chattanooga FC. So I thought that was really good. From what I could see from my end of things, Look, the team uh, had a slow start, but kind of turned around, picked it up, built some momentum. And, you know, we didn't win our last game of the season, but we, we had very strong attendance numbers going into the end of the season. And as Peter mentioned, we did not pad those numbers. That's what it turned out to be for our inaugural season. But the point is the team definitely made growth and – made an impact in the community and we did a lot of hard work not just with our sponsors but with community products like my block my hood my city 
Chi-Town football. Of course, they offer their training facility complex to, for the team to train there throughout the fall season. And working with uh, Beta Wars High School and doing some stuff for them in the community. And, you know, it was a very, very good experience for the team. And we, I think, focused on our mission, being a mission-based club, being transparent. We talked about social justice issues that affect not just the team, but our community and made an impact. And I think we did great strides with that and did well. Now, Peter also mentioned towards the end um, that the uh, club is looking uh, to hire a new head coach, uh, technical director to replace CJ Brown. And the club will also raise additional capital and will look to launching a fan ownership campaign. So that's some things that Chicago House is looking forward to for 2022. And, you know, just give my inside things on how things went. But, hey, I like I mentioned, I, I wish in Chicago House nothing but the best of luck. And we will see how things turn out for them as we approach 2020. All right. Now, towards the end of the interview that Dan Devon did with for protagonist soccer with uh, Peter Will, he did ask about the Seagate rumors. Now, Peter Will didn't comment on those rumors, but I would have to think considering the team's that they're going to reduce expenses and be on the bottom line. I have to think leaving SeatGeek and trying to reach an agreement to break their lease would be on the table. Now, this is not official or anything yet, but let's say the team elects not to play at SeatGeek Stadium. Where would they go? Now, what I did was I picked my top three choices of stadiums where they could play for next year if they choose to leave SeatGeek. Now, it would be college stadiums because I feel that's kind of the best option at this point. And we've seen teams in NISA, like New Amsterdam FC, they played at Hofstra this year. And Valley United FC, they're going to be playing at Grand Canyon University. So playing on college campuses is nothing new. And L.A. Forest, well, they've been kind of playing around all over the place, at least this case this past year because of COVID, but they did play a game at Vanguard University. So playing on college campuses at a D3 level is nothing new. So let's start with my number three option. So my number three choice would be DePaul University's Wish Field. Now, Wish Field, it's the, the capacity – I don't have the exact capacity, but based on the photos I looked, it looks a very decent size. I'm sure it's well over, you can sit well over a thousand people there for Wish Fields. So that seems to fit D3 standards for NISA. It's in the Lincoln Park neighborhood. So I know it's a little away from where Chicago House has marketed their area over at Pilsen, but you're still in the city. Transportation is not far from Fullerton L Station. So if you're traveling by train, that's the nearest station that can get you near to DePaul. And I've been to DePaul, I was there two weeks ago. I went out in that area with to meet up with a friend and we ate dinner at Home Slice, which is in that area of DePaul, but very nice pizza selection out there and drinks. And you know, if you're in Chicago, I mean, definitely recommend it. But anyways, let's get back on topic here. Field also has uh, a soccer-only press box. They do have a new scoreboard and benches, uh, new benches as well. So Wishfield's a very nice setup for Chicago House if they choose to go that route. Now, the cons for Wishfield is it's field turf. The team has played at SeatGeek and Natural Grass so field turf, that'll be uh, an adjustment there. But some of the teams they play on the road have also play in field turf, so I don't think it'd be too much of an adjustment, but still something they're going to have to deal with. It's outside their team fan base area, which, as I mentioned, 
is Pilsen on the south side. Lincoln Park is on the north side. Parking, well, let's face it, guys. Parking in the city is always going to be an issue no matter which stadium they choose. That's always going to be a thing. There are parking lots in DePaul, but it's a little further away from Wishfield, so I'm not sure how the logistics of that would work. Now, if you're driving there, it's going to take you 20 minutes from Pilsen to get over there, but if you're going to take a train, it will take you about probably – 35 to 40 minutes to get over there from Pilsen, like South side going up North. So that is something that they have to consider as an option. But I think Wishfield as my number three choice, it gives the team a, a good setup if they want to go that route. Not to mention when I worked with the team, Chicago house, we did a tribute for uh, the late uh, Jack Cummings, who I know was very close to Peter Wilt he went to that school and he played soccer there. So it would be kind of an interesting dynamic if Chicago House AC elects to play there next year. Now, number two on my list is University of Chicago Amos Alonzo Stag Field. Now, it's more commonly, they normally call it uh, Stag Field for short, but it's based in Hyde Park neighborhood. So in the south side, which is part of Chicago House's base. Now, it is outside Pilsen, but again, you're still in the south side of the city. That's where the team's trying to kind of set up their base for Chicago Fire on the other end. They're on the north side. So you're in-house territory. It is home of the Chicago Maroons football and soccer team. So you kind of have that dynamic to have to work with those teams as far as scheduling purposes. Capacity is listed at 1,650, so definitely within the D3 standards for NISA, so you don't got to worry about that. Also, the nice thing about Stag Field is you get a nice view of Washington Park. Very nice area. I've been out there. I went to uh, the Point du Sable uh, Museum there, I think, five, was it five months ago? And a very nice area, so you still get a nice view of that. Uh, the cons, horse field turf, that's going to be a, th- a thing they're going to have to deal with as well. Uh, transportation, of course, from Pilsen, it's about a 15-minute trip by car. Uh, transportation, like by train and bus, you're going to have to use both to commute over there. The closest train line is the green line, but where it drops you off, you would still have to take a bus. And I think it drops off near the hospital there, and then from there, it's a short walk over to stag field the other downside is there's a track around the field so i don't that will not be a you know soccer appeasing view but that is something that they will have to deal with there and as far as restaurants and bars there's not any that's close to the stag field there's like one that i saw on google that's close but everything else is kind of spread out so you want to do like a watch party or have like a get together after a game, you might have to walk a little further away from the stadium to get to do that. So that is why Stag feels number two on my list. Now, if it was up to me and I get to choose where Chicago House AC should play next year, and this is of course if they choose not to play at SeatGeek Stadium next year, my number one choice would be UIC Flames Field. Now that is the University of Illinois at Chicago campus. And it's in a great location, very centralized locations in the West Loop near downtown, but it's not far from Pilsen. I've walked from our team offices in Pilsen to UIC like all the time when I was working at the offices there for Chicago House. It's literally like a 15 minute walk. UIC is not that far from your base. And the Blue Line Station, it's not far away either. That's the UIC Halstead Blue Line stop. So not too far from the campus. You can definitely easily get there by bus. And there's plenty of bars and restaurants in the area. You have plenty of options there. It's most of it's on Maxwell, but you can have like watch parties. You can have maybe a get together after a game with some players 
to kind of talk to fans there. You're obviously at UIC. So it gives an opportunity to maybe marketing or maybe a, a co-partnership or maybe you can hire some interns to help you guys out on game days. Just thinking of the outside sales, you know, from my sales pants back from working at Disney back in the day. But there's so many options that this team could do uh, with UIC. And not to mention, this is the other key difference here. It is the only collegiate natural grass facility in Chicago. Out of all the colleges in Chicago, they're the only ones that has a natural grass field. And I'm just thinking outside the box, since the players are used to playing on grass, don't you want to give them that kind of similar feeling? Well, at USC Flame Stadium, you get to do that. And, you know, they have a 1,000-seat bleacher currently. And not only that, you also get a nice view of the Chicago skyline. So I think having that as a backdrop of your stadium, even though it's smaller than SeatGeek, I think that'd be pretty cool. Not to mention Flames Field, when we had those preseason tournaments for your European teams that come over the U.S. to to play friendlies against MLS or other clubs like the International Champions Cup, for example. Many of those teams that when they come to Chicago, they train at Flames Field, such as Liverpool, FC Barcelona, AC Milan, or Manchester United. So, again, Flames Field, to me, is a very, very appealing option. Now... As I've mentioned, there's always pros. There's also cons. Now, the major con for Flames Field, unfortunately, is the stadium is currently going through renovation, a major renovation right now. And it's not expected to be completed um, until fall of next year. And it's going to cost the school $4.5 million. Now, that... Uh, remodel has already started once the UIC men's and women's soccer teams concluded their fall 2021 seasons. So for the spring season and for the NISA Independent Cup, another place to play in the meantime for the spring and NISA Independent Cup in the summer. Now, it is expected to be completed in time for the fall season for the college soccer teams. Now, you starts around August. And here's the pros, though, because I think it's worth the wait, despite it going through a renovation, okay? You're going to get a brand-new natural grass playing surface, okay? Irrigation of a drainage system, so that's pretty cool. You're going to have a new expanded seating. So right now, the seating capacity is at 1,000, but it's going to renovate it to where it can expand to more than 1,000 spectators. So that's pretty cool. Not only that, they're going to flip it. So I think it's on the east end. They're going to flip it to the west end of the stadium. And that's going to be really cool because from the west end of the stadium, you get to not just see the action on the field, but you also get to see the beautiful Chicago skyline. So that is going to be just a great backdrop for the soccer stadium. It's also going to have grass berm seating which is going to be a, a kind of additional seating behind the north and south goals. So that also helps. You're also going to get a new press box, and you're going to get a video board. So I think despite all those circumstances with UIC Flames Stadium, I think it would be worth the wait that they consider that. Now, at least as a long-term option, I'm not sure where SeatGeek will be in – you know, it's future years, but I think for the short term, the team is focused on cutting expenses and fitting in the budget. I think USC Flames Stadium would be my top choice. Now, they still have other options. I mean, you could play at a high school stadium. I don't know where in the city would be a good option to play. Um, the closest one I found that might work would be Eckersall Stadium, which is also in Hyde Park. But with high school stadiums, it's tricky. They may not have a press box. They may not have a video board. They may not have all the amenities you need. Now, Eckersall Stadium, I know you can see at least a 1,000, so that would fit at least that part of it. But you might need a bunch of waivers to make it work. So I don't know if you want to go the high school route uh, to make it work. 
But I guess realistically, you're looking at a high school stadium for the spring or summer. You could play at University of Chicago Stag Field, or you could play at Wishes Field at DePaul University. Now, the team does have all the alternatives they can consider. Kansas Stadium is one that they consider. And this is what I've looked at based on where the team should play its uh, home games for its inaugural season. And Hanson Stadium was on the list. But Hanson Stadium, from the photos I looked at on Google, it looks like they had that artificial turf, hard turf. So I'm not sure you want to play it on there. And I know Chicago Fire FC, they've been talking to that part of the stadium to see if they'd be willing to develop a training complex there. I don't know where those talks stand. So that's why I view that as an unlikely option. But who knows? It's right off of West Fulton Avenue. So you're still, even though you're a little bit further away from downtown, you're still in Chicago proper. The other option is Impact Field in Rosemont. Now, Impact Field, it's a 6,300 capacity baseball stadium. Uh, now, it is home to the Chicago Dogs, who's an independent league baseball team. And with baseball stadiums, I know it's not ideal to have soccer and, and teams playing the baseball stadium, but we've seen that in USL. And uh, Nisa, you know, as much as you don't want to consider an option, you know, you got to consider all your options at this point, right? So Impact Field, even though it's a very nice facility, nice stadium, I don't think it's going to work out with Shot House AC budget and you're further away. Even though Rosemont's not that far. You can still get there by Blue Line. You can still get there by the Blue Line station because it's right before the O'Hare Airport. So you can still get there by train if you want to go see a game. But I just don't think cost-wise it's going to work, despite it being a grass field. And then the last option I have here is Benedetti Wordley Stadium. That is at the campus of North Central College. Uh, that's in Naperville. Well, again, you're, you're further away from downtown and i think that this team is considering all its options to look at everything but i think realistically if it was up to me those are the three stadiums that i would look at playing next year all right you guys still with me all right good i'm still here now let's move on to the nisa league news now, let's start with Sumtown AC, as their former head coach, Rod Underwood, was named the head coach of Chattanooga FC. Of course, Chattanooga FC parted ways with their head coach, or former head coach, I should say, Peter Fuller, back on November 21st after finishing the year with 11 wins, 15 losses, and four draws. Now, just to share my thoughts on the hire, I think it's a really good hire. For Chattanooga FC, Rod Underwood has proven that he did really well with a very limited budget with Stumptown AC, bringing in players at the last minute, but like we saw in the spring season, but was able to fill a competitive team, very defensive team. Uh, I know Stumptown AC, they don't score a lot of goals, but they sure, seeing them play, they can sure be competitive and you got to be on your game. If you fall asleep, they can capitalize. And not to mention, Stumptown AC defeated Detroit City FC. They snapped their win streak. Detroit City FC had not lost in like almost a year, and Stumptown AC broke that streak. So, hey, you know, congrats to Rod Underwood there. But also, I did an interview with CJ back in November last month when I was working for Chicago House, and I asked him, what made Stumptown AC so difficult to play against? And he told me they hold the possession for a long period of time. If you hold the possession, it makes it harder for other teams to score against you. He talked about how structured uh, the team was from the back line, the midfield, and how Rod Underwood has been able to make adjustments as the season went along. CJ also mentioned that they have a good structure. And hold the ball very well. Um, and it makes it hard for teams to break down defensively. So 
he mentioned the same thing I mentioned earlier. They don't score a lot of goals, but they will find a way to, to make you pay. So Chattanooga FC, we just it was just too inconsistent for them. They had some key wins, but they had some really bad losses. And, you know, Peter Fuller, he'd been there for a while, and the organization decided to make a change. And, hey, Rod Underwood totally fits what Chattanooga FC is looking for. Now, for Stumptown AC, all they mentioned on their end, once it was announced that Rod Underwood was leaving, is that they are conducting an immediate national search for their next head coach. But we have not heard anything yet on when they're – or if they found someone, if they're going to make an announcement. Now, of course, this was posted on December 3rd or earlier this month. We'll monitor the situation to see who will be taking over for Stumptown AC. Solidified, excuse me, their future – and we'll be back next year. Now, let's talk about Bay Cities FC. They are another team that was announced as the new expansion team, the fourth team uh, for NISA that will play next year. So just a reminder, there'll be four new teams joining the league next year. Flower City Union, which is based in Rochester. AC Syracuse Pulse, which is in Syracuse. Valley United FC, which is in Phoenix, and now Bay Cities FC, which is based in Redwood City, California, which is in the San Francisco Bay Area. So they will play, and it's pretty cool to see them, you know, finally officially announced. The co-founder and president of Bay Cities, Anders Perez, talked about Bay Cities being a community-oriented club and its core commitment to open system based on merit. And we will never lose sight of this founding mission. We fully understand and represent our community and its members every time we take the pitch. Now, Bay Cities did play in the Nisa Independent Cup earlier this summer. And now that it's finally here, you know, everyone seems very excited to see how they do. For me, I'm just happy to see that Nisa is returning to the Bay Area to play again. Um, after the Oakland Roots leaving last year. So it'll be interesting to see and see how Bay Cities do. That's what I'm curious to see, see how this team does in its first season. Um, and the club will be playing its games at the 3,500 seat Sequoia, hope I said that right, stadium in downtown Redwood City. So that was like my three big stories from the offseason so far in the NISA League. Now, let's talk about NISA Nation briefly. NISA Nation, um, the Northeast region wrapped up. New New Jersey Alliance FC won the Northeastern Championship, defeating New Amsterdam FC 2-4-0 to win. And New Jersey Alliance, they also won on the the season on the table. They were a top team. They had 25 points. New Amsterdam FC, two, the reserve team, had uh, 23 points. Steel City Pulse had 18 points. New Jersey Teamsters had seven points. Atlantic City FC had seven points. And then Verify Albion, Delaware, finished this season with six points. Now, the other region that's playing in Nisa Nation right now is the Southwest region. We got teams like the Las Vegas Legends, FC Golden State, Chula Vista FC, and Valley United FC under 23. Now, I believe that season is supposed to finish mid towards the end of January. But right now, the Las Vegas Legends are leading that division with eight points. FC Golden State has seven points. Chula Vista FC has six points. And Valley United FC... 23 sits at the bottom with four points. Now, we also had some other news. Uh, Inland Empire FC defeated Las Vegas Legends under 20 team 2 to 1 to clinch the first spot in the 2022 NISA Independent Cup. So, congrats to them. So, NISA, they announced their fall 2021 all league teams. For after the conclusion of the fall season. 
course, as you know, Detroit City FC won the championship and they had four players honored. So the first team they have on here is Omar Nuno from Cali United Strikers FC, Mayel Malongo for New Amsterdam FC, Wojciech Wojcik for Chicago House Athletic Club, for the midfielders, Maxi Rodriguez, Detroit City FC, Steven Yunkai from Michigan Stars FC, Diego Barrera for the LA Force, and Connor Rutz for Detroit City FC. And for the defenders, it's Steven Carroll for Detroit City FC, Nick Spielman for Chattanooga FC, and Devin Amu Mensa for Michigan Stars FC. And of course, the goalkeeper for the first team was Nate Steinwasher for Detroit City FC. And he also, I mean, look, a solid team there. You got for the first team, of course, Nate Steinwasher, you know, won the Golden Glove, proving he's been one of the top goalies in this league. Of course, Omar Nuno scored 12 goals this season. And Mayel Malongo and Wojcik weren't that far behind him. So I think that was good. And, I mean, the back line, I mean, there's a reason they say defense wins championships. But, you know, this this group they got here, logging in the minutes and, and doing big things on the defensive end, I think was really good for uh, these guys. I mean, Stephen Carroll, the captain, Nick Spielman, Devin Amomensa. I mean, that's a good group to go with there for the first team. Now, their second team, uh, forwards, is Siobhan John Brown for New Hampshire FC, Kay Banjo for Maryland Bobcats FC, and Christian Cheney for LA Force. Midfielders, you have Jimmy Fillerman, Detroit City FC, Eduard Benito from 1904 FC, Mohamed Cisse for Maryland Bobcats FC, and Philippe Laborio Jr. for Cal United Strikers FC. And for the defenders, you have Matt Lewis, Detroit City FC. Garrett Hogman for Cal United Strikers FC and Ian Ciro, Chicago House Athletic Club. And then for goalkeeper, you have Kevin Gonzalez. So not a bad second team either. I think if you put the first team and the second team to face off against each other, probably the first team's going to win. But I would expect it to be a very, very close game. But yeah, no... Uh, Complaints there. I mean, Wojciech Wojciech from Chicago House, you know, finished the season with eight goals and had an assist, you know, did pretty well there. Uh, Derek Huffman, he was one of the top three players um, for this past season in assist. And then, of course, Ian Cero, you know, easily the, the game changer for our season. Uh, he scored a few goals, but did very well on the defensive end for us and was a playmaker, created those opportunities for us to score. Because I think we had, like what, we started the season and we had a goal a couple games and then we didn't score a goal in like five or six games. And then we just kept scoring pretty much from then on out once we learned how to get the ball in the back of the net. So I think the team did a really good job with that and, you know, finished strong. So that's just my perspective on the the, the – the first team and second team for Nisa, and then giving you the Chicago House perspective from, you know, working with those two guys and seeing how they did. And hey, those two guys, they they've earned it. All right, so let's finish up the new stuff here for the league. So according to the Did You Say Nisa podcast, I did mention in one of the podcast shows recently. I don't think it was the recent one they posted, but the one before that, I they mentioned that New Amsterdam FC. Part ways with Buna Kondul, the coach for New Amsterdam. Um, I haven't heard anything, but that was something I remember they did mention. Um, but, you know, we're in the offseason now. You're going to have teams change coaches. Chicago House, Chattanooga, Stumptown, Maryland, who I'll get to in a second. You know, that's that's part of the – and I guess now New Amsterdam. So that that's that's part of the, the changing culture where – we got players moving and coaches moving, personnel moving. That's that's how it is when we're in the offseason. Speaking of the Maryland Bobcats, FC, they announced that they parted ways with Sam Oak Podu and their co- part of their coaching staff, uh, Phil Nena Ben 
RET and Leslie Unua on November 22nd. Haven't heard any updates on their end on if they found someone as a, a potential candidate to replace those guys. But of course, whenever we get more news, we'll let you know. Now, one interesting story that happened in the offseason was on the first team podcast, they uh, had interviewed Michigan Stars FC owner George Junkai. Now, he claims that he had a deal with the USL to move Charlotte Independence to Michigan, but the league blocked his purchase of the club. Now, I find that very interesting because it probably, one, explains why Detroit CFC probably left Nisa so quickly to jump at that chance at the USL Championship before the Michigan Stars would. But George Junkai has been very open about playing at a higher level, playing at the open division, and he's willing to pay money. He's shown that. He's willing to pay money to, to get there. Now, with Detroit City FC moving on to the USL Championship next year, not sure there's a way George Junkai can make that happen unless they go to USL League One. Um, there was also talk that he wasn't going to leave Lisa hanging, though. He was going to have a Swedish owner take over the team and still keep Michigan Stars up there. But the plan was he would take over Charlotte Independence for a year, which would be 2022, and then 2023 move the team to uh, Michigan. But now that's not going to happen. And for Charlotte Independence, they have self-relegated. They moved down to USL League One. So that's where they will be playing for the 2022 season. Now, Stumptown AC, as I mentioned, they did have some issues on their on their own um, with, you know, the broadcasts and vendors and things of that nature. But knowing that the league had to prop the team for this past year and apparently now 1904 FC that kind of helped them to float, hopefully that won't be the case next year. Uh, of course, uh, according to the Nitro State Nisa podcast, this is based on their last episode that I listened to last week. They said that FC Carolina is the rumored youth team to take over that club. So similar we saw with Albion, San Diego taking over 1904 FC. It looks like we can get something similar for Stumptown AC. Um, they also mentioned that they're going to have it. Well, they're going to be the new investor, but also they're going to probably relocate the team. So they won't be playing in Matthews. It looks like they'll be playing in a different area. Um, they'll have some options in Charlotte. Um, I did see on Reddit that someone suggested Rock Hill, which I think would be very interesting. It's in South Carolina, but you can still call yourself the Carolinas. And that's usually, that's usually where the Panthers, I think the Carolina Panthers, they train there in the off season. So it's an open market. I think that would be very interesting. And you're not that far from Charlotte, so you can kind of still market to Charlotte. So it'll be interesting to see what FC Carolina does once the league uh, announces who will be the new investor for Stumptown AC. Now, AC Syracuse, Pulse, and Chattanooga FC, well, in AC Syracuse, Pulse case, they are going to bring a women's team to join the UWS in 2022, while Chattanooga FC is going to bring back their women's team after they were on hiatus. They will come back and play in 2022. Now, NISA did receive an expansion bid. This is right before Christmas for 2023. They got an expansion bid from 1000 Oaks FC. Now, they are based in West Lake Village, California. Uh, Mark Norzai, I hope I said that right, is listed as the primary investor for the team. And he talked about, you know, how his approach with the team, um, building a strong fan base and supporting uh, his, his new club. And he's also being advised by Brad Friedel, the former uh, U.S. men's national team goalkeeper. And he was also part of efforts to bring Major League Soccer to Las Vegas um, back in the mid-2000s. So it's going to be very interesting. I think most importantly, to see how that develops. But I think most importantly is that, again, West Coast team, NISA, building up that West Coast presence. I think that's very important. And looking to see not just the West Coast grow, but hopefully some more teams in the Midwest, always some more teams in Texas and uh, the Plains, and see how that goes. But, hey, Nisa is already getting on 2023 as far as expansion teams. That's great to see. Now, one last piece of league news, at least that's related, is the 2022 U.S. Open Cup. 
<clears throat> excuse me, my voice is dying out here. Uh, to return after a two-year hiatus is, of course, related to the uh, pandemic. And, you know, NISA teams, they will enter in the second round, from which starts on April 5th to the 7th. And that's going to be great because for NISA, they're going to finally have teams participate in the Open Cup for the first time. And the way they've kind of changed the format, it looks like you'll have more David Goliath matchups. And we could see potentially USL League One against uh, the NISA teams, or you could see, you know, like, like Chattanooga Red Wolves and Chattanooga FC, or you could maybe see Chicago House take on Chicago Fire. That would be very interesting. I wonder how CJ feels about that. <laughs> you know, so yeah, lots of interesting matchups we could potentially see in the Open Cup, but can't wait. I'm happy to see it back. I used to cover the uh, US Open Cup for the Cup.us for a while. So I'm glad to see that tournament finally make its return and see how these uh, Cinderella teams do go, hopefully, go on a deep run for 2022. But that will conclude this NISA League news segment. Now let's get on to my final thoughts. All right, everyone, let's get to my final thoughts today. Earlier this week on Twitter, I posted about with 2022 nearly here, what would be some of your New Year's resolutions for at NISA League? And some of you chimed in. Uh, I'll start with b.s.plus at bjps underscore. Now, he talked about mass streaming partnership with YouTube. Now, I thought that was pretty interesting because right now the league currently has to deal with 11 sports. And I'm, I was very familiar with 11 sports beforehand because, of course, the stream platform they bought was MyKuju. And when I was in, into Orlando Academy, that's what we had. So very familiar with it. Of course, for television, it used to be One World Sports at one point back in the day when the NASL was around and when the Cosmos were having their situation. That network basically folded and 11 Sports bought them out. But here in the States, I mean, 11 Sports, I think a lot of people know what it is, but just not that quite familiar with it. And of course, we got a great account. You can watch the games anytime, watch the highlights. You know, easy platform to put together. But I just think maybe from a marketing perspective, maybe not well known probably. So that's why he probably suggested it. Now, I think YouTube is interesting because I used to work for the Orlando Seawolves when they played in the Major Arena Soccer League. Now, the league, MASL, has a deal. It's indoor soccer league, by the way. They have a deal with YouTube, and they also have a deal with Facebook. Now, Facebook is pay-per-view. You have to pay some money to, to watch it. But with YouTube, it's free. And the league has, you know, some of the most lower division soccer leagues standards and quality and this and that, how you want to invest in the broadcast. Now, when I worked with Orlando Seawolves, they invested heavily to make their broadcast production look good and everything. And again, it was free. So even though I was watching the game from home on some occasions, they looked just as good like even though I was like if I was at the stadium. So I know the indoor soccer teams, they invested a lot with the YouTube as a thing. And I know USL, they also had a partnership with YouTube for a while before they recently, you know, joined ESPN Plus and all our teams can stream there and all that. And I'm sure for NISA, that is the goal. They they want to get there one day, but it's going to take some time. So we'll see. I think YouTube right now, I've seen some NISA teams do it. Chattanooga, I know Detroit City FC did it before they now left to go to USL. But they would stream their games on YouTube. Uh, with Chicago House, we never stream our games on YouTube, but I know through our, like it's on our page, but I know with our partnership with ISC Sports Network, they did stream our games on their YouTube platform. So people in Indiana and across the Midwest could watch our games. So it will be interesting to see if that's something that we can develop. But hey, who knows? Maybe B.S.plus might be on to something. Now, other suggestions I made, this comes from, or not I made, but comes from at the house of Nisa. That's Brian, by the way. Um, he suggested to put forward an aggressive agenda of reform directed at U.S. soccer, starting with demanding a PLS waiver for teams who win at the Nisa Nation, excuse me, to be allowed to be promoted 
to at Visa Lead. Now, Brian brings up a good point there. And I think that's going to be something that I've seen fans kind of clamor for on social media. Like, Nisa said they've talked about it, but I haven't seen like an open letter like to U.S. soccer about, hey, this is how we want to change the PLS standards and how we feel it should change to benefit not just us, but soccer as a whole. Um, I know for me next year, I want to do more interviews. So if I can get some people in the league, you know, I can ask them about that, about, hey, you know, is there going to be, uh, you know, U.S. soccer, you know, conversations about the PLS standards? You know, how do they feel about it? How do you feel about it? You know, how how the talk's going? Because I know having approached the 2026 World Cup and we got leagues talking about ProRail, not just NISA, but USL. You know, that's going to be something that we will definitely need to keep an eye on. Now, Brian kind of alluded to the end about at Nisa Nation being allowed to be promoted to Nisa League. It's also going to depend on waivers because I don't know if any team is going to qualify and directly. It's because it just depends on, on the waiver. And the reason I bring this up because, like, in some leagues, like, an example, in Japan, the J League, and they have below that J League Division Two. okay, if the team that plays in Division Two doesn't meet the criteria – to get to Division One, then that team doesn't get promoted, and the next team that's below them will get promoted if they meet the standard. I remember this hasn't happened recently, but I remember a few years ago that did happen in the J League where a team finished in the top three spots or top two spots but couldn't get promoted because they didn't re- meet the criteria. So that team that finished below them got promoted instead. So – Obviously, if that gets changed, you don't have to worry about that. So Brian's definitely on to something, and I think that's going to be the key factor is if Nisa can get a waiver for some of those Nisa Nation teams that are eligible to get promoted. Now, I also talked to uh, uh, Grayson Footy. Uh, well, he, I'm sorry, he changed his name now. It's now Grayson FCB because he now writes for FC Barcelona website now. But he uh, – he also also runs that NISA Content Alliance page, and he chimed in and said, I definitely think that the PLS damages U.S. soccer, and we need to fight for an open system in this country. And look, I agree. I think that's the goal, and if NISA is going to be the one leading the fight, they got to talk about it. And I think they are, but I think a lot of us are just curious, like, naturally, like, what's U.S. soccer? Like, are they positive? Are they negative about well, like how do they feel? Like, how can we get that change? I think that's for a, a lot of people up we're kind of thinking about. Harry at R-A-M-I-N-C-O-L talked about, you know, seeing out a specific league, but Schnur Shapiro talked about, you know, not seeing out a specific league. Yeah, I think that we kind of want to make it open for all now. MLS, they're going to do their own thing, guys. I mean, I mean, they kind of already are. They got MLS, their top league. Now they got MLS Next, Pro, and MLS Next after that. I mean, <laughs> they're going to have their own little pyramid, and that's the way it could go. You could have maybe three separate soccer leagues, okay, MLS, USL, and NISA all have their own pyramids. It's just crazy. And, uh, you know, we'll just have to see how it happens. Now, Schnorr Shapiro talked about, you know, if they can figure out a way how to get rid of the PLS moat to D3, there we have the conversation of just having multiple levels under D3 sanctioning, which I think he's probably referring to the uh, amateur teams that are, like, below D3 level. Like, we don't have, like, a fourth division. Like, England, they have, like, what, nine division soccer leagues? We're not even that, even that close yet. So... I wonder if that's the model that they might these leagues might try to go. But, I mean, hey, more soccer to you, I guess. So it's going to be crazy to see. But to me, the, the, the PLS is the game changer. And if Nisa can promote on getting those changes, that would be good. Now, on my end, as what I like to see for Nisa for 2022 is continue to, to grow the game. I mean, to me, that's the most important thing. I know the league had some issues with – 
propping teams and, and paying the refs and all this stuff and had to endure through all that. But hopefully Nisa got all that figured out and squared away and that won't be a recurring problem or excuse me, a recurring problem going into next year. And they're going to kind of fight the fight to, to keep the thing going. And look, I've been following soccer here in the U.S. for quite some time and seeing how it's evolved and how it's growing. And I think that's going to continue, especially now with the 2026 FIFA World Cup. Not too far away. Now, speaking of NISA, um, before I let you guys go, um, the commissioner, John Birch, he just posted a letter on the website kind of thanking the fans and the supporters of the league and kind of gave some insights on what to look ahead for, for 2022. Now, just to kind of give some my insights, you know, he talked about, you know, Nisa's committed to an open system and they're working every day to make progress and ensure that U.S. has a true open system. Of course, he talked about, you know, each club maintaining its IP rights, no territorial rights, solidarity payments, that stuff we've known about. And then he talked about kind of recapping the, the, the 2021 year for Nisa and Detroit City FC winning the, the championship. Um, he talked about that. Of course, he mentioned the, the four new teams that will play in 2022 that I mentioned earlier, AC Syracuse, Bay Cities FC, Fire City Union, and Valley United FC. And he also mentioned that they're looking ahead to 2023 and that they've accepted applications from additional clubs along with ongoing discussions with many others. So that'll be very interesting. Maybe we might finally hear about what's going on in Atlanta, what's going on in Providence, you know, and other places that Nisa is looking at uh, as options for uh, in the future. Now, he also talked about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And he talked about uh, how the league has made progress on that and how they have talked about um, in the spring season, 31% of the clubs had a or will have a first-generation immigrant ownership. 25% are owned by people of color, and 13% are owned by women. And how NISA will continue to continue that hard work to diversify not just its team and leagues and front offices and the organization, but continue that initiative. Now, he did give some updates on NISA Nation. Now, NISA Nation, he talked about how it was a landmark year. First year, they got that off the ground and going. And look, NISA Nation, yeah, you had two divisions, Northeast and Southwest, but there's going to be more coming up in the future. And he also talked about um, its uh, amateur affiliations, he also talked about significant milestones for NISA about Chicago House, AC, uh, making the first solidarity payment to a U.S. Uh, amateur club, which is Steel City FC. And he also shared that since then, this was back in June, uh, since then that NISA and its member clubs have processed an additional 10 solidarity payments to amateur clubs and that these payments provide recognition and capital to the clubs and communities that have a hand in the development of professional talent. So I think that's really cool to see that continue. And he also talked about the Independent Cup. And the big news with the Independent Cup for next year is it will expand again. No surprise there. But he also mentioned that NISA Nation clubs will also have an opportunity to play NISA Pro Clubs into 2022 independent cup. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then he also concluded towards the end about uh, the women's uh, independent soccer league and the national competitive soccer league, which is a youth league. So similar I've seen USL with the Y league and connect all leagues, what MLS is doing with MLS next. It seems like NISA is now going to adopt their version of that. And they're going to have, a national competitive soccer league for the youth, for women's side, but also the men's side. And the men's side will have their own version of a competitive league, NISA competitive league, excuse me, 
they'll have the adult amateur league, which is like all their league affiliations. And then they will have Nisa Nation and Nisa Pro. While for the women's side, you're going to have the WISL competitive league. And then you're going to have the adult amateur league and WISL Pro. So I will look very forward to getting some updates on that. But like Nisa said, for the first time ever, girls and boys will have a clear path to pro to the WISL and Nisa system. Excuse me. So looking forward to hearing more about that. But yeah, very exciting stuff ahead for Nisa as we approach 2022. All right. Well, guys, I appreciate you guys for taking the. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's a long show, but we had a lot of topics to talk about uh, for the offseason so far. And I will say that I definitely appreciate you guys following me along for 2021. I hope we do a lot more of that um, in the future. And I appreciate you guys, your, your supporters, uh, over 200 followers for the show, that your guys are sticking with me and, you know, like the show. And, like I said, any feedbacks, comments, suggestions, or anything you guys want to share about your passion about Nisa or soccer, you know, you can hit me up on Twitter. Twitter, I'm at JT underscore Taylor88. For the Nisa show, of course, it's at Nisa underscore Today FC. For Instagram, it's at Nisa underscore Today FC. And for Facebook, it's at Nisa Today FC. Well, that will conclude today's show. I want to thank you guys so much for everything and the support. And I wish you all a very, very happy new year. We'll be back next year better and stronger than ever. Until then, take care. Bye for now.